breaking news coverage of what's happening in Baltimore. Uh, we're also a number of media outlets today defended Planned Parenthood, attacking well. this video as a sting operation intended to make the group look bad. Of gunshots uh, also being fired. Railing against the majority for their decision to find that same-sex marriage is now legal in all 50 states. We expected this, a financial time bomb ticking in Athens, Greece, as we monitor how markets are reacting. The Dow already down, as I guys are you good are you well all right let's go are you excited for church tonight excited that uh, football season is right around the corner anybody go Broncos anybody else excited to still be world champions yes absolutely anybody here tonight for the very first time can you raise your hand I know uh, we've got uh, awesome I love the enthusiasm. We've got a youth group from Laguna Beach here tonight for the first time. I know that. I see you guys all tan with your flip-flops and sandy feet. I'm not jealous of that at all. But on, uh, <laughs> on behalf of the entire YA crew, I just want to say welcome to you. We, are, um, we love that you're here. We're honored that you're here on a, night, on a Thursday night when there's a hundred other things that you could be doing. Thank you for being here. You are welcome here. My name is Doug, Wecken, by, but Doug Weckenman, sorry, by the way, if I have not met you, and um, I'm super excited for tonight for a lot of reasons. Here's just the first reason right here is my little brother and longest best friend, Ryan Weckenman, is visiting Colorado, and he's here. He's in the house tonight, and um, wow, fired up for my brother. You guys don't even know him, and you're excited. He's, uh, he's a catch. How else do I say it? That's what my mom tells him all the time. He's a catch, because that's not biased at all, right? Let's see, he is 26 years old, he's a pastor, he's got his own place like literally on Seal Beach in Southern California, he is a surfer and he's single and he's down to give the long distance thing a shot, that's all I'm saying, okay, so Ryan, I hope that helps, the rest is on you bro, I love you man, and uh, secondly, it's just best friend night for me tonight here at Young Adults, one of my other best friends, um, Sam Ellis, he's a youth pastor in Laguna Beach, he's here tonight, and uh, I know we talk all the time in here about being bold and sharing your faith and the fact that uh, you might be the only light in your friend's world. And uh, one of the reasons I'm personally so passionate about that is um, I'm saved in here tonight, really, because about seven years ago, Sam was that for me. And he had no business doing that. I was just a lame underclassman up at CU that still listened to Jack's Mannequin and Fall Out Boy. Like, that was me. And they're cool, they're cool. I, I was not, still am not. Sam is, though, and he was the cooler, older, tanner, upperclassman with really, with really great facial hair, had no business talking to me, but God used him through his boldness and his willingness to, to save me. And so those stories are real. Never underestimate just how much you are God's plan for your friends and the people that are in your life. Never underestimate how much you are God's plan for those people. And Sam, I just uh, I want to say thank you to you tonight for being that for me. Just don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I might later, just a warning. But um, 
With that said, State of Hope, there it is. Welcome to night one of our brand new series, State of Hope. And let me just tell you right now where we're kind of going with this thing so you're not confused right off the bat, okay? Right now in our world, in our nation, probably in your life personally, there is more than likely a lot of very logical reasons that we as Christians should probably be a little panicked right now about things that are going on, a little worried, a little anxious, like, what the heck is going to happen to our world a year from now? Where are we going to be? And like, oh my gosh, the economy, it's never been this bad. And we're not going to have social security when we're 65 years old. And like, what about ISIS? Aren't they getting stronger in the refugee crisis on the other side of the world? And racism just seems to get stronger and stronger every single month. And like the election in November, what's going to happen? What is going to be the state of our world one year from tonight? And I don't know. I'm optimistic. I have my thoughts and my hopes, but I have no business promising you something I can't promise you. But here's what I I do have business promising you tonight. Here's what I can say with full confidence, full assurance, and integrity that I can tell you exactly where Jesus Christ will be one year from tonight. He'll still be sitting on his throne, sovereign over everything, just like he is right now, no matter what happens. He's still going to be in control, just like he's in control tonight, right now. He's still not going to be surprised by anything that the world throws at him, by anything that you do. Just like up to this point, he hasn't been surprised so far by anything that you've done. He's still going to be madly in love with our world. No matter how unlovable we continue to be, he's still going to love us. He's still, first and foremost, going to hate the Patriots and love the Broncos, no matter what happens this season. Praise God. God is good. Praise God. He's still going to be the God who has all the math figured out no matter what state of being our country or our world is in. And consequently, because of that, our state of being, as his followers, our state of mind can therefore be a state of hope. Because our God is a God of hope and he's not panicked right now by anything that's going on. You might be panicked, he's not. I prom- You might be freaking out and stressed out about your tomorrow. He's already in your tomorrow and he's, not, he's doing just fine, not worried about anything. Amen? Amen? You guys excited for church tonight? Excited? Get fired up. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Say, uh, hey, it's probably a really good thing you're here because, man, you really need to hear this tonight. You need to hear this. Then turn to your other neighbor and, and start crying and say, I know, I know, I do. This is for all of us tonight. This is for all of us. Because in regards to hope, You can turn on the news right now, you're not going to find a lot of hope. You're going to find a lot of bad news because bad news sells really, really well. I was thinking back to a newfound glory song from like 10 years ago. I don't remember the name of the song, but I remember one of the lyrics was about the news and it said, other people's misery are on for the next three hours commercial free, so enjoy. And that got me laughing because I was like, that's kind of true, like bad news sells. I don't know why tragedy for some reason sells very well. Despair for some reason sells very well, but although it sells, it does not necessarily bode well for the condition of the human soul. That's what I know. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says that hope is the anchor for our souls. Hope is this holy anticipation, holy expectation that there is something better, something more, something greater out there that we are running after. And so where hope is lacking, the soul, the human soul pays a price because it is without anchor. And when your soul is without anchor, it tends to become restless and fearless. Not fearless, I'm sorry, fearful. And I just have, I have a feeling that some of you in here might be able to resonate with that. I know I sure can. And so Here's what I want to do. There's not going to be anything profound about tonight, okay? It's going to be actually pretty simple, but I think pretty beneficial to every single one of us who will hear this 
and then actually do it. How about, how about that, right? Hear it and then actually do it. And, and here's, here's just the basic truth that I want to hone in on. And it, and it has to do with hope, obviously. And it's that hope, first and foremost, is not a feeling. Hope, first and foremost, is not a feeling. Hope, first and foremost, before anything else, is a decision that you make. Like love, contrary to popular belief, is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Love is a decision that you make. Forgiveness is not something you feel. Forgiveness is something you daily decide. Following Jesus is not a feeling. It might have been that very first night when it clicked for you for the first time that this whole God thing was real and you decided to follow him. You might have felt it that night, but if you base the rest of your faith journey from here on out on a feeling, it's not going to go well for you. Following Jesus is a decision, and in the same way, hope is first and foremost a decision that will lead to a feeling but first and foremost it is a decision and so with that said if you're taking notes tonight and please do so I don't feel insecure I'm kidding but for real God will judge you more harshly no he won't but you should just take notes okay and if you're taking notes write this down here's the title of the sermon tonight a decision called hope there it is write that down a decision called hope will you guys pray with me let's pray Heavenly Father, God, we just give tonight to you. The glory is yours, God, and, and, and I just feel this message weighing so strongly on my heart, and I want to somehow do this justice. And so right now, God, I just get out of the way, and I give you this stage, this platform, to speak truth into every single soul that's sitting in every one of these chairs tonight. God, do what only you can do and transform us from the inside out. God, we give you tonight in every way. We give you this night. And God, we love you so much, and we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Are you a forgetful person by any chance? You forget things easily? Or maybe you're like my wife, and you live and die by your color-coded planner, and you remember everything. All right. But do you remember things well? Anybody good at remembering things? Like you'd be willing to claim that in a church in front of all these witnesses and God that you are good at remembering things? I think I'm a forgetful person. I don't know. I can't really remember, but I think I am. And I, I asked my wife a few nights ago, I said, babe, I, like, I forget things sometimes, don't I? And she just started laughing. She just started laughing for like a minute. And then she had like a tear in her eye, and she was like, the Bible says I'm not supposed to keep a record of wrongs. And I was like, my wife is one of the funniest people I know. She seriously is. But I, I, I forget things all the time. Like right before we got married, I forgot our three-year anniversary of when we first started dating. And I show up to her house thinking that it's just going to be like a hangout night, like we'll watch a movie or something like that. I knock on the door in my Batman sweatpants with a T-shirt on, no shoes, like I forgot my shoes. I didn't, I didn't really, but... I mean, this is not going to make it any better because I show up in Batman sweatpants, knock on the door, and she answered the door in a dress, all done up, thinking that I was taking her out, thinking I was a reasonable human being and boyfriend who was going to take her out on a date for our three-year anniversary. And like, what do you do in that situation? Like, I just dug a hole in her front yard and started burying myself in it because there's, there's no coming back after you do something like that. May 14th, babe. It's May 14th. Not that it matters because I gave you a ring and we got married. Now it's June 27th, 2014. I remember. I remember. I remember, okay? I need to say it. I need to say it. What kind of guy? Never mind. Let's, let's move past that. A couple weeks ago, I got up super early to come to work early to, to come in here and, and spend some time praying for Connor because he really needs it. Just interceding on his behalf. Going to battle in the spirituals for Connor Grimm. Don't tell anybody because I won't get my reward in heaven if you do. <laughs> but I don't know if it was the fact that it was just early or the fact that I'm an idiot or some kind of blend of the two. I don't know. But I got up. I went through my, 
my typical morning routine, right? I took a shower, had a bowl of Lucky Charms, ran half a marathon. I didn't really do that, but I did take a multivitamin. And I, I got packed up for work, packed everything up, got in my car, pulled out of the spot. And I'm not kidding you, I got a half a mile away from my condo when I realized that I forgot to put a shirt on for work. I was just like driving like, I'm forgetting something. That's a shirt. Easy mistake. It's an easy mistake. I was like, oh, it's Red Rocks. They're chill. It'll be fine. I'll just go. <laughs> How do you forget a shirt for work? I did. I'm forgetful. Maybe you are too. Maybe you're like an elephant and you remember everything always. I'm not that way. But here's what I do know and here's the point that I'm getting at right now is I can tell you this about the human soul. The human soul, every human soul, has a tendency to easily forget and drift away from the things of God. The human soul, left, left to its own propensities with no anchor and no direction, will drift away from things like hope and the gospel because hope is illogical. The gospel is scandalous and illogical and goes against everything that, that we normally live by. And so you have to continually remind yourself of it. And, and, and when you don't learn how to preach it to yourself, your default setting of the human soul, like a boat in the middle of the sea without an anchor, will be to drift away from it. And I want to show you exactly what I mean. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and go to Psalm 42. should be like right smack in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, <laughs> good luck, man. I'm kidding. It'll be on the screen. You're going to be fine. Direct your attention there. And although scholars don't really know who exactly wrote this psalm, whether it was one of the sons of Korah or David, and not that I have any experience as a historian or theologian at all no credibility whatsoever but I, I just think it was David I really do because it, it, if you read it it's got David written all over it it's gritty it's raw it's bipolar it's schizophrenic and it's honest from the very beginning to the very end and by the way if emotional ups and downs and things like anxiety or depression are things that you struggle with um, you're going to find a lot of hope and a lot of comfort in the Psalms, and I, I just wanted to say that. I felt like I was supposed to encourage you in that direction, but I'll show you what I mean. Here we go. Psalm 42, we'll start in verse 1. It's a good place to start. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. Listen to like the emotional pain behind this. Oh God, I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I only have tears for food. Like that's in the Bible, that kind of honesty. My only food day and night for me has been tears. Like David is in physical and emotional pain. A lot of scholars believe he wrote this at the very end of his kingship. And this is a time when um, all the people that once upon a time loved him and adored him are starting to rebel against him. And that rebellion is being led by one of his sons, Absalom. And on top of that, he feels like God has forsaken him because he hasn't heard from him in a while. And David, he's like, every day, every night, all I have for food are my tears. While my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? That's what they're saying. And by the way, God, I'm starting to wonder the same thing. Where is this God of mine? My heart is breaking because I remember how things used to be. And so we'll stop right there. First of all, here's a cool takeaway. If you're looking for something to write down, write this down. God can handle your honesty in your prayers. He has no problem with your honesty. He's God. He can handle it. In fact, he knows what's in here. You might as well tell him anyways. The last person that you need to speak Christianese to, the last person that you need to put on a show for is your heavenly fathers. I found myself a lot recently just like, just like letting it all out 
whether it's frustration or anger, anger at him, just letting him out. And rather than feeling it met with like him being mad at me, I, I, like I feel so much comfort in him being like, all right, now that's what I'm talking about. I know it's in there. Thank you for telling me. I can work with this kind of honesty. God can deal with your honesty. He sure could with David. He sure could with David, and here's what David does. He's listening to himself, and that'll make a lot more sense in just a second. David is listening to himself. He's venting, but then all of a sudden, he kind of stops. Right after verse 4, he just stops right there, and he tries a new kind of weird technique. He starts talking to himself. He probably looked really weird to everybody who was watching him. He starts talking to himself. Here we go, verse 5. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And look at the words right here. I will put my hope. That's not a feeling. That's a decision. I will put my hope in God. He's talking to his soul right now. I will praise him again. God, no matter what I feel right now, I'm not going to live by what I feel. I'm going to live by what is true. And what is true is that even though I'm not on a spiritual mountaintop right now or an emotional mountaintop right now, I'm going to praise you because you're worth it. That's what's true, and I'm deciding to do that because praising you is a decision, my Savior and my God. So David goes from listening to himself to preaching to himself, right, in one verse, just like that. It's like he takes his soul and he puts his soul in a timeout in the corner and gives it a talking to. That's exactly what he does right here. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that as Christians, we spend way too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. Because nobody has more influence on you than you do. The person that you listen to the most is yourself. Stephen Furtick makes a lot of good points about this in this verse, and I've learned a lot from him about this. He says, like, he makes the point, if you wake up tomorrow and you listen to yourself, tell yourself that it's going to be a long day, guess what? It's probably going to be a long day. If you wake up and you listen to yourself, and that's your default setting, listen to yourself, tell yourself, man, it's going to be a bad day, probably going to fall short, not measure up in a lot of ways again today. You're probably going to have a bad day where you feel like you don't measure up because you become what you believe. You just do. And that can either be an awful thing or a wonderful thing, depending on what you believe and what you speak over your life. You become what you believe. And as a maturing Christian, which is everybody in here, at some point, you need to stop listening to yourself, and you need to start preaching to yourself. Stop listening to your soul tell you how you feel, and start telling your soul how to feel. That's what David does in this psalm right here, and it doesn't come naturally for him, just like it won't come naturally to any of us. But he, like, he gives it a shot, and he starts preaching to himself, and it lasts for one verse, for verse 5, and then he immediately falls back into listening to himself. He's like on this, this mountaintop right here, like, I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. <laughs> now I'm deeply discouraged again. One verse later, see what I mean by bipolar, and then, and then just jump to number nine. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? So he's back to listening to himself, but then once again, he takes a deep breath, and he puts himself back in the driver's seat of his soul and makes a decision to put his hope in God and starts preaching to himself again. Here we go, once again. Why am I so discouraged? 
Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God, because hope is a decision, not a feeling. Just like love is a decision and forgiveness is a decision way before it's a feeling. And and, and David is saying, I I get that. And right now I'm at my wit's end. I'm backed into a corner. I'm tired. I've got like no energy left. These people that once loved me now seem to just hate me. My soul is restless. I'm in pain. And I don't even know if you hear me, God, this is how I feel. But somehow, even even in all that, I know it's true. I know it's true. And I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep writing and I'm going to keep praying and I'm going to keep this battle up. And he continues it into Psalm 43 and I'll just read it. Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against the ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your, your life and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, to the source of my joy. And here it is. I will praise you with my harp. Yeah, David played a harp. Say something. (laughs) Oh, God, my God, I will praise you with my harp. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And the Bible records David doing this three times, but I promise you he did it a lot more than three times. The Bible only recorded it three times. I bet he took his cueing from Joshua chapter 1 when Joshua, when God tells Joshua to keep these promises, keep these scriptures, keep the Bible, the promises that God has already spoken, spoken over him. He says, Joshua, keep it, keep it on your lips. Keep it on your lips, not just once a week, not just once a day, but continually. And I just see David like mumbling to himself, walking around the palace, just like speaking it and and preaching to himself over and over again. Like, why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul, put your hope in God. Like, soul, put your soul, put your hope in God. So like just preaching to himself over and over and over again in my heart. Like, you need hope. You need an anchor. And my heart has been so heavy on this, trying to figure out how to do a topic like this justice in a 35-minute sermon because here's what I know. Right now, there's people in this room, and you're struggling really, really bad with depression or anxiety. There's some people in here, and you've thought about taking your life, about killing yourself a few times just in this past week. There's people in here, you're drowning in an addiction, and you're under the impression that that's going to be your reality for the rest of your life. There's people in here, and you, you, you don't just think, like, you know that God gave up on you a long time ago. You think that maybe you've done too many bad things to go to heaven or thought too many bad things to go to heaven. There's people in here who you, you have a brother or a sister or a close friend, and they're, like, this close to the end of their life because of something like a substance abuse or something like There's pain in this room, and that list goes on and on and on and on. And what I just am trying to figure out a way to say to you tonight is that there is hope. There is always hope. There is hope beyond the walls of this world. It is your anchor. It is a person. His name is Jesus Christ, and with him, this is the worst place that you will ever live. Did you know that? With Jesus Christ, this is the worst life that you will ever have. And that's saying something about the holy anticipation we should have for what we have waiting for us. We experience pain and death in this world right now, but that will not be the case one day. Right now down here, we experience things like physical and emotional pain and cancer and disease and job loss and headaches and relational strife and divorce and anger 
and bitterness. We experience all of those things and more right here, right now, but that is only here and now. That is not there, and that is not then. There is hope beyond the walls of this world. Once upon a time, Jesus only dwelled beyond the walls of this world, but then about 2,000 years ago, he made a decision, a decision to make his dwelling within the walls of this world, within his followers. Therefore, hope is now alive and at work inside of you. It is there, but it must be decided upon. It must be decided upon, but it cannot be taken from you and it cannot be just extinguished and, and this is something that uh, the enemy your enemy does not understand he doesn't understand it and I'll make it more personal even than that more tangible for us right now ISIS terrorists do not understand this they don't get this concept I was in New York City with the YA staff last week and um, the first night we were there, it was like midnight, but it was only 10 p.m. back in Colorado. So we were like, the night is young, let's go out. And we took an Uber to uh, Lower Manhattan, to the World Trade Center Memorial. And uh, we, we got, the, and the last time I was in Lower Manhattan, I was like, it was like 1999 or something. Like, I was like nine years old or something like that. So obviously it looks different now than it did at that time, and um, we're walking around, and it's midnight, so the memorial's closed, but we can still kind of walk around where those towers once stood, and um, there, there's just no words. Um, you guys know, when you try to talk about that day, there's really no words that do it justice um, to give honor to the fallen. There's no vocabulary that they deserve that's good enough for them, and, and you try to explain it. You try to kind of understand it, and I, like the word that kept coming to me, I think, was somber, walking around just kind of Wondering what it must have been like to be there on that morning from hell right there. It's just touching, you know, and, and also inspiring because right across the street from where the South Tower once stood was a fire department and the lights were on. We saw some of the guys hanging out and just like wondering like the stories that those guys could tell, like stories of heroism and, and stuff like that. Just, just inspiring. And, um, but you guys know, hard to describe that day. And, and I have two photos I want to show you. Here's the first one right here. You guys all recognize that. That is just some of the rubble, I think, from the night of September 11th. And um, here's what happened that day. Because we were all young in 2001, um, but we all remember where we were. And here's what happened that day. Satan, using people, stole symbols of hope from our country. Not hope itself, but symbols of hope from our country and left what was a seemingly hopeless pile of steel, of smoke, and bodies that had been stolen from innocent people who were just trying to go to work that morning. But here's another picture I want to show you right here. And this was taken, I think, just a few months after September 11th. And here's my question right here is how the heck do you think something like that is possible in the immediate aftermath and wake of a day as horrible as that day, of something as awful as that? How is something like this possible? And I have an answer for you, and here it is. That right there is possible because hope is a decision. That's possible because hope is a decision. It's possible because you can either let the things that Satan brings your way be a prison of darkness and despair, or you can see those things for what they are and mourn when you need to mourn, step back and assess the situation, and stand on top of the wreckage 
and shine a light that tells the rest of the world that evil does not prevail. And in the end, evil does not win. And no matter how vicious its schemes are, it can, it can steal symbols of hope, but it can't touch hope. It can steal symbols, but it can't touch the real thing. And Satan knows that. And I think it frustrates him. And, and here's what I, and this is very challenging for me, very hard for me. But here's, here's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying, like, terrorists are lost and confused souls. And, and, and I pray I've been praying that, man, they'd see images like that. And I pray that somehow through that they would see the face of the real God through images like that. And that through, like, through the, the hope shining out of the very people they're trying to terrorize and rob hope from, that something would click. I, I really do. I pray that because terrorists and evil are not the same thing. I hope you get that. You have to get that. Terrorists and evil are not the same thing. Terrorists are pawns being used by evil. It's different. It's different. And there's consequences for that. If you allow yourself to be used by evil, you need to be stopped. You will be stopped. One day you really will be stopped. I promise you that. But like the Hunger Games, to quote that, remember who the real enemy is, right? Remember who the real enemy is enemy is just like that and like as a son or as children of light as a son or a daughter of the God who created light you have every right to take the things that Satan sends your way and rather than those things being a prison for you of darkness and despair you have every right to turn around and shine beams of light up into heaven that tells the rest of the world that things like love have been around a lot longer than things like evil and hatred have been around and they will remain a lot longer after things like evil and hatred are finally destroyed. What he intended for evil, you have every right to use for good. Understand that. What he intended to kill you, first of all, didn't kill you because you're still here. And you have every right to use that thing to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let evil keep you in a prison of darkness and despair. Don't let your parents' divorce be the prison that you're in anymore. Don't let your past decisions be a prison that you're in anymore. Don't let, don't let anorexia or Vicodin or pornography be a prison that you're in anymore. Don't let a generational curse that's been around in your family for years be a prison that you're in anymore. But rather, make a decision called hope. Make a decision called hope and stand on top of those things that once upon a time, back on another day, were your prison and now use them as a platform to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ just like Jesus will one day use Satan as nothing more than his footstool for the rest of eternity. Worship team, you may now make your way back to the stage. I was just trying to think of another way to say it other than, man, you guys can go ahead and get back out here. I always just do that. America is a target for evil because although we are very far from perfect, we have a high and powerful calling on us. And so don't be surprised that evil tries to attack. Don't be surprised. And in the same way, as a Christian, because of Jesus, first of all, you are positionally perfect. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees that kind of perfection. He doesn't see your record. He sees undefeated when he looks at you. But nonetheless, although that's true, practically, as we walk out our faith in this life, we do it far from perfect, do we not? But although we do it far from perfect, 
You, and I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to the person next to you or the person you're thinking of right now. Because of Jesus, you have a very high and powerful calling on your life. You have a very high and powerful calling on your life. And the more that you begin to figure that out, the more you begin to realize it and step into it, the more you begin to take action, the closer that you get to seeing breakthroughs in different parts of your life, the bigger that target on your back is going to get. As Carl Lentz would say, you go up higher on the enemy's most wanted list for no other reason than just the fact that he now has more of a reason to be afraid of you. And when that happens, that's the more that you're going to have to preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself and remind yourself that hope is a decision way before it's a feeling. Love is a decision way before it's a feeling, a decision that you probably need to make every single day and you have every right as a child of God to remind your enemy that he's lost the war. Every right. Like recently when I've been, uh, it's gonna sound funny, but when I've been feeling like spiritual attack, recently I've been talking so much trash for some reason to the enemy, like not in an ignorant, dumb kind of way where I'm, I'm oblivious to how good he is at what he does. Not, not in that kind of way, but more of an authoritative kind of way that understands that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and at work within me. I have a temple that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and he's trespassing against that. And he don't care about that until I use my authority against him and remind him, remind him that he's lost the war. He's lost the war. Talking trash like Satan, you're clever, you're good at what you do, but you're also an idiot because you chose evil over love and hell over heaven. And you know what? I hope you had fun today because you're now one day closer to an eternity in hell than you were the last time that we talked. And every time you come back, I'm gonna remind you that that's true and simultaneously remind myself that hope is a decision I can make every single day and that you cringe at the very audible sound of my Savior's name, Jesus Christ. And you could kill me, you could have one of your pawns kill me and guess what I still win and you still lose come back again and I'm gonna tell you that again preach it to yourself you know what kind of Christians are easy prey for Satan and I know you're like man you're talking about the devil a lot tonight like yeah I am because when you acknowledge him then you can do something about him Harry Potter fans in the room tonight okay I was hoping so if you're not I'm, I'm praying for you I really am even if you're not, you've heard the name Voldemort. He's the bad guy, all right? And all throughout the books and the movies, he's referred to over and over again as he who must not be named, as you know who. Because as soon as they say his name, they have to acknowledge that he is real. And this takes place all, like, through all the movies up until the very end of the last movie, like right before the ultimate battle between good and evil is about to take place. And Voldemort, the bad guy, is out there with all of his little pawns planning an attack, which sounds very metaphorically familiar to me. I don't know if it does to you, but they're trying to plan an attack against the castle. And I don't know if you remember, but Professor McGonagall, I think it was, she's trying to rally all the teachers to put up like protective enchantments to keep the enemy out. And somebody comes up and asks her, she says, Professor, you really believe that we can keep you know who out indefinitely? She says, absolutely not, I don't, but we can slow him down. But then she says this, oh, and by the way, his name's Voldemort. You might as well use it. He's going to try and kill you either way. You have an enemy 
And according to John 10, 10, he wants to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. So you might as well acknowledge him, not elevate him, but acknowledge him because he's gonna try and steal from you and kill you and destroy you either way. And when you acknowledge it, then you can do something about it because you know what kind of Christians are easy prey for him? Are Christians who will listen to themselves way before they preach to themselves, are easy prey for the enemy. The kind of people that are easy prey for terrorists are people who listen to themselves way before they remind themselves that things like hope are a decision that they can make. Christians who are easy prey for the enemy are Christians who listen to themselves way before they talk to themselves and speak truth over their lives. Because the human soul is so forgetful of the things of God, like a boat out at sea with no anchor, just drifting in every single direction. Like, if you lose your job, say it's a decade from now and you have a family, you have a mortgage to pay, and you have little kids that are hungry that you have to feed, and you lose your job. In that moment right there, your default setting is not going to be Oh, you know, Matthew 6.33, all I have to do is seek his kingdom first and he knows what I need, he's gonna provide for me and I just gotta fix my eyes on the things above and God's gonna take care. Like, that's not your default setting in that moment unless you preach to yourself before you listen to yourself. And I'm not saying that's easy. The moment after you fall back into an old temptation that you thought was kind of behind you, like your default setting your auto response the moment after you stumble back into something like pornography or drugs or alcohol and you thought it was behind you your default setting is not to immediately think okay you know what Romans 8 1 there's now no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus and I, I fell but I can fall forward and I can move forward out of love and not out of fear like nobody's auto response is that in that kind of moment unless you preach to yourself before you listen to the lies that you're going to hear Ladies in this room, when you get caught in the comparison game, if it's with other girls in here or on TV or in a magazine or something like that, your default auto response in that moment is not to jump to Psalm 139 and say, oh, you know what though, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit me together perfectly with great forethought and I am beautiful and I am loved and I am chosen, more chosen than I can ever. Like, that's not what you immediately think in that moment unless you stop listening to yourself and listening to the lies of the world and take those thoughts captive and begin to speak truth over your life and begin to start preaching to yourself. For me, every time I get a chance to talk about God like this right now, Here's what happened, like my default setting all week leading up to this is not, like here, here's what my default setting is, I'll just tell you this, you're gonna choke. <laughs> That's what it is. God's not gonna come through. This whole preaching to yourself thing, this whole choosing hope thing, you suck at that, so why would anybody listen to you? What kind of authority do you have to preach this? You're not praying enough, so once you get out there, God's gonna forsake you to teach you a lesson about not praying enough, because after all, this is about you, not a thousand young adults hearing my truth. Like, just imagining like God up there like with his arms crossed, just waiting for me to not meet like a quota of prayer so that he can abandon me on stage to teach me a personal lesson. Like, like it sounds so stupid, but that's what I think. It feels so good to say it. Like, I bet if you took the things that you listened to yourself say and you said them out loud to somebody else, you'd laugh too. It'd probably feel really good. 
That's one of the many benefits of community and things like life groups. Life group launch, September 15th, after YA. Put it on your calendars. <laughs> but that's my default setting for things like this until I stop listening to myself and I start preaching to myself. Not just on Monday, not just on Tuesday, not just on Wednesday, not just all day Thursday, but even a little bit Friday after it already happens. Stop listening, start preaching. Stop listening, start preaching. The gospel is so illogical and the love of God is so scandalous that it almost doesn't make sense and your soul will drift away from it if you do not preach those things and remind yourself of those things daily. You can't just hear the gospel once and have it make sense for the rest of your life. You can't just hear about the love of God and have it immediately click. It will probably never fully click in your time alive on this planet, but you fight for it to make more and more sense every day by preaching it to yourself more and more and more every day. And what I want you guys to feel tonight is just this ownership, this ownership. That that spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is alive in you right now and you have the ability to speak truth into your own life. You don't need Jesus to be right next to your bed every morning to give you a pep talk. He's like, no, I've given you the Bible. I've already spoken those promises. You remind yourself. It's part like when we live from conference to conference, retreat to retreat, mission trip to mission trip, counting on those things, like not to be mean at all, but you know who does that is infant Christians, baby Christians do that. And as we mature, you learn like, sometimes I ask God, like, God, just show me that this is real. Like, show me that there's no condemnation. Like, show, like, and those are great prayers to pray, but sometimes I feel like God's just like, hey, stop asking me for something I've already given you a thousand times. You need to try your strength, and buddy, I'll be right here the entire way. I win in the end, I promise you that, but you got your battles to fight, and I would be doing you a disservice if I handled this for you every single time. Try your strength, I'm right here. As you do, the power alive and at work within you will become stronger and stronger and stronger as you apply it. Hope is a decision, not a feeling. You will lie to yourself, the world will lie to you, and the enemy sure will lie to you. Stop listening and start preaching. Start li stop listening and start talking, even if you look weird. I just picture date like, I will live by what is true and not by what I feel. I will live by what is true and not by what I feel. I will take my emotions and I will tell them to get in line behind truth and not the other way around, right? Real quick, would you guys stand? We'll finish this off really quick and then we'll sing some songs. But even as we worship, man, you're probably not on a spiritual mountaintop where you stand right now. You're probably not emotionally charged. Some of you might be. Some of you are probably just going through the motions, wanting a feeling of hope and love and I'm here to tell you that those things are now a decision as a mature Christian. Those things are now a decision. To remind yourself that the enemy can, can steal all kinds of symbols of hope from you, but he can't touch, he can't touch the real thing so long as you decide that he can't touch the real thing. I don't know where our world's gonna be a year from now. I am optimistic about it. I'm an optimistic guy but Jesus will be on his throne. On August 11th, 2017, he will be on his throne. He won't be panicked, he won't be worried, he won't be surprised, he won't be out of love for the world. He won't be up there like consulting the Trinity, like what do we do about like we didn't plan for it. 
There's never been that kind of conversation among the Trinity in heaven, I promise you. All right, does that make sense? Does this make sense? All right, you guys, hope is a decision, not a feeling. Hope is a decision, not a feeling. Worshiping, praising him is a decision, not a feeling. Not by what you feel, but, why, but by what is true and what, by, by, but, but, and what is true, sorry. What is true, I'm just so excited about it. can't wait to worship. What is true is that he is worth it and he is worthy of your praise right now. So let's sing. Let's sing like we know that that's true. Let's sing not like baby Christians. Let's sing like the kind of Christians that are going to do some damage in Denver for the rest of 2016. Let's sing like some kind of Christians who are God's access points to this world. In 2016, as it is in heaven, starts in this building right here, right now. I love you guys. Let's pray and then let's sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for this group. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the times that you do show up and fire us up when we need it. But thank you for the fact that you've already won and that you let us try our strength in these battles so that your power grows on the inside of us. Your authority lives on the inside of every person in this room and I speak truth over them tonight. God, I, I, I pray that this would not be about a feeling or an emotion. I pray that we would make our emotions get in line to the truth in your Bible and line it up with what's true, not the other way around. God, we, I, we just love you. I don't, I'm out of words and I can't do this the justice it deserves. I can't you, do you the justice that you deserve, but we're gonna sing like we mean it. And every word that gets sung tonight, God, is for your glory to tell you just how awesome you are, no matter the storm. We love you so much, God. This is for you. This night's for you. We give all the glory to you. And we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.